gives it to Wall. Working against Bradley for three. John Wall! What a shot! Three balls, two strikes, the pitch. Swing and a long drive! Bledsoe back to pass, steps up, going deep, caught ball! T.O. is leveled by Sean Taylor, and he's slow getting up. There's going to be a run back from 9 deep for Jacoby Jones, and look at him go! Jones is past the 50, and he is flying! Inside the 20, and a kickoff return, 109 yards and a touchdown, an all-time record! Holding inbounds to Nicholas. Four seconds, three seconds, he's across midcourt. Two seconds, one second, throws it up. Money. And he got it! And the Terrapins win on the shot by Nicholas at the buzzer! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Puck in front, Connolly with a chance! And they score! They score! The puck on a rebound for Lars Eller! And as the puck drops, the words that DC fans have been waiting to hear since 1974, the Washington Capitals are the 2018 Stanley Cup champions. Hey, what's going on, everyone? And welcome to the DMV Dispute brought to you by DMV Sports Network. You can follow us on Twitter at DMV Dispute. And I'm your host, Jeremy. You can follow me on Twitter at JSquared021. I'm joined today by my boys, Darren and Gerard. Darren, Gerard, how's everything going with you all? Everything's good, good. Can't complain. Actually, I could complain, but I won't. Everything's good on my end. Everything's all good. All right, Gerard, where can they find you on Twitter? They can find me on Twitter at Roddy KG. That's at R-O-D-D-Y-K-G. Shout out to Dwayne Haskins for complete, completing his first NFL game on Sunday. Uh, only only can get better from here. All right. What about you, Darren? You can find me on Twitter at dbirdhoops. That's D-B-I-R-D hoops. Shout out to our Mystics for taking game one against the Sun. One down, two to go. All right. As always, we're proud to do this podcast for one of the top sports websites in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, and that is DMVSportsNetwork.com. They can be followed on Twitter and Instagram at DMV underscore SN. They have some great daily content on the website of all things DMV sports, whether it be professional college, high school sports, and a lot more. So after you listen to this podcast, go ahead and check out dmvsportsnetwork.com. In addition, please be sure to subscribe to our show wherever podcasts are found, and that includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, and many more. We do not have a topic for the Washington Capitals, but the Capitals are starting the regular season this week. <laughs> like, it, it, man, they, they have a short offseason just like the NBA. But, yeah, the NHL is starting up right now this week. So, yeah, let's give a shout-out to the Washington Capitals, and yeah. hopefully they have a good season. Let's move on to our first topic for this episode. It has to deal with the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens lost to the... Cleveland Browns 40 to 25. Yes, that is a 15 point loss. However, it was a one score game late in the fourth quarter. Uh, but there were some uh, turnovers after Nick Chubb got an 80 yard touchdown to start off a drive. Um, 
when it comes to and before I even before I even get to 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 the question, uh, Lamar Miller had I mean sorry Lamar Jackson I'm thinking about the running back Lamar Jackson had a uh, about a little over 200 yards and three touchdowns before he threw the two interceptions late in the game in what you can say even though they were losing you could say it was garbage time but. He threw those two interceptions. He had, he had 24 for 34 passing, 247 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, let's go on to the Cleveland Browns real quick. Nick Chubb, 20 carries for 165 rushing yards and three touchdowns. He also had three receptions for 18 yards. Uh, and I'll start with you, Gerard. When it comes to this game between the Ravens and the Browns, uh, which, loon- which uh, unit – lost the game for the Ravens? Was it the offense not being able to uh, put up enough points in a timely fashion, or was it the defense giving up 40 points to the Browns? Um, I would have to say it was the defense, and it wasn't the fact that they put up 40, which is a lot. You can see that last touchdown was a garbage-time TD, but... It was the fact that the Ravens' defense, yes, they lost a lot of players. They they said a lot over the offseason and training camp and in the preseason that the guys they had picked up and and the people they have on the roster to replace the guys they lost to free agency, that they were going to be able to keep up the pace. And so far, that's that's not true. Yes, they have injuries in the secondary to cornerbacks like Jimmy Smith and some others, but it's the running it's the running defense is really messing up this Ravens defense the uh past two games. They've let up they've let, allowed a lot of running a lot of rushing yards to running backs these past two games and it's what's really, really hurt them. Long drives that, you know, are sustained by five-yard runs and eight-yard runs, and then right there from play action, getting sucked in, quarterback running. is a lot of that – it's a lot on that front seven, and you need them to really step up. Yes, the offense didn't produce the way they needed to. They gave the defense a lot of short fields. That kind of thing really does hurt a defense and hurts the production, especially if the offense can't score. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to this Ravens defense is the thing that no matter who's the quarterback, no matter who the runner back is, it's always been the thing that's carried this team. And with Lamar Jackson being your quarterback and you want him to be a ground and pound type of team, you have to be able to have the defense to be able to keep other offenses off the field so that running so that running attack and the offense can can play their game and not be forced to throw it. Because they're coming from behind. I I hear everything you're saying, and I absolutely agree that that the Ravens defense looked pitiful yesterday, honestly. But you know, I feel like on some level the Ravens defense is kind of what we've expect kind of kind of what at least I expected it to be. You know, I feel like the Ravens, you know, strength you know, what's going to propel them is going to be their offense in this season, you know? So even though I think the defense is definitely to blame, you know, Nick Chubb was, was just, you know, going to work. Um, you know, I, I, I look at it. I, I look at the way that this Ravens defense have been playing, you know, 
especially against the Chiefs and the Browns, the Chiefs last week and the Browns this week. I think that I still think that given that we kind of know what the Ravens were going to be, at least I feel like I knew what the Ravens defense was going to be. I have to kind of place this on the shoulders of Lamar Jackson. You know, I said last week that, you know, Jackson's accuracy is kind of coming into question. So you're, you're looking at it last week. We can kind of give him the excuse of, all right, you know, he was at Arrowhead. It's a tough place to play. It's difficult, you know, feeling the pressure playing against, you know, a team that's honestly a true contender, you know, uh, uh, you know, that team that you're, one of the teams that you're going to have to go through in the AFC, you know, between the Chiefs and the Patriots, were also on on the Ravens' schedule uh, this year. Um, when you look at that, you know, sure, there's a lot of pressure for Lamar Jackson to perform, and he probably just didn't really pull it through. But I think against a team like the Browns, yeah, I think the Browns' defense was really pressuring him. But you know, these are the kind of games where where Lamar Jackson has to step up, and he's got to be the guy that that really takes the Ravens over the top. You know, I think he took too many sacks against from against the Browns. I think he took uh, four sacks in the game. Um, he had issues completing throws downfield. Yeah, again, once again, the, the defense was in his face. They were definitely pressuring him. But, you know, for a guy that says he's willing to throw the ball and ready to throw the ball, I don't think he really started forcing it downfield until the fourth quarter. Again, you know, leading to, to the interceptions and whatnot. I get that. Um, but I, I still think that, you know, when you're facing these teams, you know, teams like the Rams, teams like the Seahawks and the Pats, who are also on the schedule, and the Chiefs and the Browns, who they've already faced this season, you know, you have to look at Lamar Jackson, and he's got to be the guy. I get that he's a second, he's he's a second year starter, and it's it's his first year starting from the beginning of the season, but he's got to be that guy if if the Ravens are going to be true contenders, which I don't necessarily think they are at this point, um, Lamar Jackson's got to be the guy that puts them on the shoulders and lifts them up to beat, you know, these teams. Like these are the teams that you're going to have to beat if you want to be taken seriously uh, in the NFL as, as a team that's really going to have high expectations. You know, I don't think that anyone was saying necessarily they were going to go to the Super Bowl this year, or even be, you know, contending for the Super Bowl. But, you know, Lamar Jackson, I think he's the guy that that's gotta, that's gotta do this. You know, I think him scoring, him putting up points, you know, their offense, putting it up. Um, I think that's kind of what motivates the defense to really, to really play better. If you're going to send the defense out there, then, you know, you got to have, you got to have Lamar Jackson stepping up to the plate and, and really, you know, not being afraid, not being afraid to throw the ball, you know, just getting rid of it, especially getting it downfield and then just kind of working on his accuracy. You know, he's starting to revert back to the Lamar Jackson. That's, that's not been, you know, a crazy accurate passer. Um, the one that we saw last year, you, so when you look at the teams that they faced this year, you know, they had a 59 to 10 win over the Dolphins, but that was the Dolphins. That was sort of the peak of, of Lamar Jackson this year. Um, but I kind of put that out as an, as an outlier because the Dolphins are, are still 0-4. The Cardinals was a very close game, very, very close. I, in my opinion, closer than it should have been. But, you know... It, it, that's what happened. And then you look at their loss to the, their losses to the Chiefs and the Browns. I have to kind of put that on Lamar's shoulders, honestly. He's got to step up, you know. The defense is going to be what it is. So with this kind of defense, the offense has has to get it done on their end of the of the field.
All right. Just a quick reminder that the Baltimore Ravens now have a two and two record and their next opponent will be the Pittsburgh Steelers. At the moment, the Steelers are winless. They are playing right now Monday night football against the Bengals. Uh, Both of those teams are actually winless. So we will see if anyone actually wins and what the record would be for the Steelers coming up in the next matchup. But yeah, that is going to be a a very important game for the Baltimore Ravens. Let's now move on to the Washington Redskins. The Redskins fell to the New York Giants in the Meadowlands, 24 to 23. Uh, Daniel Jones had his home opener or for his first start at home in front of the Giants fans. And uh, Case Keenum started at quarterback for the Washington Redskins, but after a few possessions, he was benched in place for Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins on his first uh, drive, he was able to lead the team into field goal range and they were able to get three points on the board. However, the rest of the day did not go well for Haskins and uh, the Washington Redskins on a whole. Uh, And before the game even started, there were reports from the Washington Post that Jay Gruden was going to be fired if the Redskins lost this game against the New York Giants. Now it is Monday, September 30th. As of now, he is not fired. So I'm going to ask you, Darren, how long do you think Jay Gruden will be the head coach for the Washington Redskins? I think, I think that Jay Gruden has the benefit of having to place, having to face the New England Patriots uh, next week, and then uh, the Dolphins the week after that. So I think that I think his job is safe through the Patriots game next week. So I I, I think I think his job is safe through week five. Um, I think it sort of depends with I think it sort of depends on a number of things. It depends on how badly the Redskins lose to the Patriots, which as far as I'm concerned, the Redskins are arguably the worst team in the NFL right now. And yes, I'm including the Dolphins on that list. Um, maybe I'm overreacting, who knows, but uh, we'll see in a couple weeks, I guess. But I think that if the Patriots just absolutely dismantle the Redskins and they can't get anything up. Like if it's a, if it's a 50 to zip loss or, you know, worse than that, heaven forbid, I think, you know, they've got to get rid of Jay Gruden. I think if it's, if it's a slightly closer game, if it's a little bit lower scoring, like, you know, if the Patriots score anything like 30 or less points, I think, Gruden's job is safe at least through the Dolphins game. Uh, I think it all sort of depends on. It's all going to hinge on how they look against the Patriots and just how they get dismantled. And also, I think a part of it that's going to factor in is going to be just Jay Gruden's decisions, like who he decides to start against New England, because as of as of this recording, you know they're still not committing to which quarterback is going to start. Is it going to be? Keenum? Is it going to be Haskins? Is it going to be Colt McCoy? Um, we we don't know, but Jay Gruden seems insistent on just Dwayne Haskins not being ready and and not 
starting. So I, as far as I'm concerned, you know, Jay Gruden would probably go out there and play quarterback himself if it meant not not putting Dwayne Haskins in as the starter. So uh, I think that if he starts, if he starts Keenum and Keenum just kind of blows it, or even worse, if he starts Colt McCoy. I think ownership has no choice but to get rid of him after the New England Patriots game. But I think he still has – I think the fact that they're playing the Patriots next week is what saves him. So I say that that if he gets fired, I think that after the Patriots game, I think next Monday possibly he gets fired because that will give him the time to have, you know, whoever the interim is going to be, uh, you know, get their feet wet against the Dolphins, who are not a good team, who are pretty much on par with the Redskins. It's going to be the battle of the, the two worst teams in the NFL. Um, and it'll give Haskins a chance, because as far as I'm concerned, Haskins is going to be starting by the Dolphins game no matter what. Like that's He's going to be the starter. And if he's not, I think there's there's something wrong. I've been predicting that you know, for pretty much, pretty much all week. Um, he's going to start by the Dolphins game. I don't think they are going to throw him into the fire against New England. Um, but I do think that, you know, it gives the new, you know, or interim head coach a chance to to work with Haskins, get him ready against the Dolphins and see what happens. So as far as I'm concerned, I think Jay Gruden is fired next Monday after the Patriots game. Um. I have kind of a complicated answer to this, uh, but okay. I think that I think that if we win in Miami, Gruden lasts the year. I think if we go, we fall to zero and six with that six loss being the Dolphins. Then I really do believe Gruden will be fired after that game. But I think. I think it will be uh I think it will be Gruden staying in place as long as like I said that when we get at least one win most likely against the Dolphins but as far as everything else you said I agree with it and I can and I and personally I agree with what Gruden is doing Honestly, um, he came into the season knowing there was a one in twenty per one in twenty thousand chance that he actually has a playoff season and makes a run or anything like that. He knew that coming in, uh, and so he's going with if this is my last ride as a head coach in the NFL for a while, if not. Ever, I'm gonna go out on my terms. I don't care what Dan says. I don't care what Bruce says. I don't care what the fans want me to do. I'm going out the way I want to. I'm running the offense the way I want to with the running backs I want to use. I'm using the core type of quarterback I want to use. As soon as Colt gets healthy, I'm gonna play the quarterback I want to play. Jay is going out on his own terms. He is not going to be 
He is not going to have all this risk and stuff that is self-destructive of the organization fall on top of him when he never had any real control over anything to begin with. He couldn't draft a quarterback or run the draft the way he wanted to. Dan Dwayne Haskins was forced on him by Dan Snyder. So he already started the season off in a, on on short leash. And so now he has to deal with everything else that comes with running a team, the media and everybody else. And he's doing it his way. I mean, I, I understand this is nowhere near the pressure of being an NFL head coach, but I remember this past season, my fantasy team, I forgot all about the draft and it went on auto draft. And my team wasn't awful, but it wasn't the team I wanted. It wasn't the team that I wanted. I knew there was nothing I could do to put a championship to team together, but I did whatever I could to get guys that I wanted to play on the type of team I wanted to construct. And so I made outlandish moves, traded away marquee players for guys that weren't as good, but I felt better going out and playing and losing however I did on my fantasy team because I knew it was a team that was of my design or somewhat. And I kind of, so that's what Jay's doing. Like he's saying, if you're going to fire me anyway, I might as well have fun and try to see if all these crazy offensive schemes I've been drawing up in my head and been wanting to put on the field for all these years, if I get guys around me that can actually, you know, do and play the kind of play I need to out, out of their position if they can work. And that's what he's doing. I think he's playing. I think he understands that he'll be somewhere else next year. So he's doing what he wants. It's like, it's like when you're about to quit a job anyway, you've already handed your two weeks. You already know you have your new job lined up. So you show up to work and you kind of fudge it a little bit. You you know, spend a little bit more time in a break room. You do a little bit more talking and hanging out with the coworkers because worst comes to worst, your 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 vacation starts early, you know? So it's one of those things. So I'm not mad. I'm not mad at it. I think that if he gets a win, they'll keep him around because if they didn't do it today, if it didn't happen today, Monday, then I think they're saying we're just going to ride out with you for the foreseeable future, unless something else comes up like a media issue or PR issue or something like that. I do. I do think I do think that Jay Gruden uh, on on one end just to sort of to sort of even kind of bolster your point I guess um, I do think that Gruden does have the advantage of the Redskins having a pretty tough schedule um, you know they've got the Patriots next week they got the Dolphins the week after that obviously that's not included on that but then they've got the 49ers who 49ers are still undefeated if I, yeah the 49ers are still yeah, undefeated they're they're still undefeated. Um, They've got the two and two Vikings who, I mean, they're the Vikings, you know, they didn't look that great yesterday, but defense is still one of the top defenses in the league. Um, even though Kirk Cousins is going to do what he does. Um, uh, they've got the bills who played the Patriots very, very tightly, uh, on Sunday. Um, the Jets, that's, again, another toss-up game within the Lions, who have looked better than I think most of us expected. The Panthers, who have switched out their quarterbacks. By the way, I did predict that Cam Newton would probably not be playing by the time the Redskins played them, and it's looking like I will be correct about that prediction. 
And then to close out the season, they've got the Packers, the Eagles, and the Giants, who could very well lay, you know, lay another beating on the Redskins just this time at home. Uh, and then the Cowboys, of course, at Jerry World. So that's you know an L as far as I'm concerned. So you know they do have a tough schedule. So if ownership is looking at the tough schedule um, and saying, well, you know. Whoever whoever we insert as head coach is going to have a very uphill uphill battle. Then yeah, I you know thinking about it, looking at it from that perspective, they'll probably just say you know let let Gruden just finish out the season, and you know we're not going to win anything anyway. So just fire him after the season over, and then focus on just really rebooting everything with with everything new next season and just like finishing it out however we started as opposed to just completely wrecking things in the middle of the season and then just you know further proving the organization is in the chaos that we know it's in uh so real quick to wrap it up darren you think uh he will get past uh if well let me Real quick, this from what I gathered. If the Redskins are blown out by the Patriots next week, then he's going to be gone by next week. But if it's a somewhat closer game, then you think he'll he'll give he'll be at least given a chance to win the Dolphins game. And um, is that correct, Darren? Yeah, I mean, I I I'm kind of changing my answer because yeah, I had said that if they get completely if the floor gets completely wiped with by the Patriots, then he'll probably be fired after the Patriots game. I think if he's not fired, I'm going to change my answer a little bit. So I had, I had him fired. I, I think I said, I think I said they, they might fire him after the Dolphins game. I don't remember, but I'm going to say if he's not fired after the Patriots game, then he lasts the entire season. Okay. And then Gerard, yeah. What what was your, uh, to wrap it up, what was your prediction of what's going to happen with Jay Gruden? Uh, if we're zero and six, he gets fired at the Miami. If we're one and five, he stays on until the end of the season, All or until right. or until until we're mathematically eliminated. I'll say that. But okay. All right, before we continue, it's time to tell you about DMV Sports Network's library of podcasts. Right now, we have nine active shows, including team shows for the Redskins, Capitals, Nationals, Wizards, and Ravens. There's Fantasy Fever, which deals with all things fantasy football, and a pair of mixed bag shows from It's About Time, DC, and Dom and Thunder. All these shows are available wherever podcasts can be found, so please check them out. And if you like any of these shows, please leave a review and subscribe to them on the podcast platform of your choice. I do want to go back to the Washington Redskins game, and I want to go through like pretty much a drive summary of what occurred. The first drive, Keenum uh, ended ended it with an interception. The Giants scored a touchdown to go up 7-0. Redskins then punt after seven plays. Giants then score another touchdown to go up 14-0. Redskins punt after three plays. Then the uh, Giants throw an interception. The Redskins punt. Then the Giants throw another interception, and then it is this drive that Dwayne Haskins comes into the game. Like I said earlier, he led them to a field goal in that drive, but that was the only drive that the Redskins scored. I want to start with you, Gerard, real quick. Um, The way the game started with Case Keenum, um, 
and, and look, we've been coming up with different scenarios for weeks now about how Haskins or when Haskins will get in the game. But do you think it was even fair for uh, Case Keenum that Haskins was put into the game in the first half of the game? Um, I think it was kind of like, I don't know why he couldn't wait the one drive before halftime to put Haskins into the game. Uh, I get that maybe you wanted to try to inject some life into the team or into the offense before halftime to get a score. And they did that. Haskins people driving down for a field goal. But I think they could have waited until the half to make a change, uh, especially make a change at quarterback. Uh, I would have maybe waited, maybe let Keenum play the game out, let, uh, you know, other teammates try to get un- get their feet underneath of them a little bit, get the running game going, get some of uh, the receivers' chances to uh Plan it out and maybe give themselves 15 minutes of the half plus the Giants drive when the second half started to say, Hey, we're starting off, we're starting going out with Haskins. You know, these are the plays we're going to run. This is the formations we're going to come out in. This is the packages we want to use. And so that's, and so the team's a little bit more prepared. And so they understand that, Hey, we're going to have Haskins playing and we're going to have the ball come out as a little different. And so it's not such a shock to everybody. Um, and it's hostile. It's pressure. You put Haskins in front of a crowd that was a hostile, that was, you know, a rival. And he's going up against the quarterback that was drafted ahead of him in the draft a few months ago that he see, you know, made the bold prediction that the NFL is going to regret, you know, the decision, although, you know, it was a bad mistake, whatever the case may be, whatever he said. And so it was tough. It, it happened all wrong. It shouldn't have happened the way that it did. Um, I think that it's something that, Gruden did because I feel like he can hear the chatter from local media or whatever, you know, why, you know, should we, should we be starting Dwayne Haskins, Case Keenan's missing throws, blah, blah, blah. I think he let him, I think he let outside voices that he'd been hearing the entire week leading up to the game, get into his head a little bit. And he didn't, and he didn't think it through. I think if he would have waited till halftime, if he made the decision to go with Haskins, he would have been prepared. Or give him some time to think he could have calmed, calmed down a little bit and decided to stick with Keenum the rest of the way going into the uh, second half against the Giants. But I think putting him out there in the middle of the first half with no preparation on a shortened week because they played Monday Night Football the week before was the wrong time to give a quarterback who only had a year of college football an opportunity to play. Granted, I think that he should be playing, especially seeing the state of the team. I think it's, I think it makes more sense for Haskins to play. I think if they put, if he puts McCoy in or Keenum in again, I think that's wrong. I think you've already introduced them. Don't let this be the only taste of football he gets until the offseason next year. Keep him in for the rest of the games. Keep him in. 
let him finish up the season, and let's see what we have in the future quarterback. If we have the next Russell Wilson or the next Peyton Manning or, you know, a future Pro Bowl quarterback, we need to find out now and to uh, uh, not let us find out a year from now and we try to scramble around, still trying to figure out who this future quarterback is going to be. I, on some level, I agree with you. I agree that it, it, I agree that putting in, putting in Haskins probably should have waited until halftime. I also think that on some level, it could have been a situation where we know that we know that Keenum was battling the foot injury this week. Um, he probably, especially based on how he looked on Sunday during Sunday's game, he probably shouldn't have even played in that game. Um, so I think that I think that some part of it was was Jay Gruden realizing, you know, Keenum is is probably still not 100% right. You know, the longer I keep him in, the more there's a risk that that something worse could happen. He could aggravate a further injury, you know, something that will actually make him miss more time. So on some level, I want to say that it was probably Gruden finally realizing, okay, Keenum probably isn't right. We're risking damage. So let me just take him out as soon as possible, even if it's even if it's before half. Um, but at the same time, I can't, I can't justify, you know, I can't necessarily justify putting Haskins in just, you know, barely before halftime. Um, you know, I, the thing that, the thing that I come back to is on Monday night football, I saw Case Keenum, you know, lead somewhat of a comeback, you know, the illusion of a comeback in the second half against the Chicago Bears, you know, and maybe, maybe I was watching a completely different game than you. Um, I know we didn't really get a, get a chance to talk about it uh, last week, Gerard, but, you know, I saw Case Keenum lead a comeback against, you know, a stifling Bears defense that was just really shutting him down the first half. Um, not necessarily saying that that would have happened in this game, um, especially given what I said about, you know, Case Keenum probably not being entirely right. But, you know, he does strike me as a guy that is going to battle. He's a guy that that's that's going to do his best to leave it on the field if he can, even if his best is is subpar, um, which I'm I'm finally willing to admit that you know maybe i've been a little bit too high on case keenum because you know but um but uh you know i i still see a guy that's going to battle and try to bring the team back etc so i think that that if gruden i feel like on some level gruden knows that so i think that if he took him out i think it was really he saw that keenum wasn't right that keenum wasn't playing like himself you know he wasn't playing you know up to quote-unquote quality backup status i should say so i think it was just his way of saying you know i'm gonna take keenum out i'm not gonna make him endure any more of this i'm just gonna go ahead and throw haskins in to the fire um whether he's ready or not and you know even if it's before the half we'll see what happens so if that's if that's the reason i 
I kind of get where Gruden is coming from, and I can kind of understand that choice. But yeah, it is jarring throwing him in before halftime instead of giving the team a time to the time to adapt, really getting him ready to go in, as opposed to all right, Haskins, you're you're going in on this next drive. So I I get it from a standpoint of protecting Case Keenum, but if he's not protecting Case Keenum, then yeah, it absolutely should have waited until halftime and through the Giants opening drive at the very least. Yeah. Oh. No, oh, no, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Finish, finish your thought before we move I, on to I the next time. I was just saying, you know, I don't, I don't know if I think Haskins just happened to be the only other quarterback active that game. I think. If, oh yeah, absolutely. It would have been Colt McCoy if, if, yeah. if he'd been active. But I don't think he <laughs> was. Yeah, we all know that. Oh man, we were talking off air, and I'm gonna be real quick with this. We were talking off air earlier, uh, Darren and I were just kind of like, "What is the fascination with Colt McCoy?" At the end of the day, under Jay Gruden, Colt McCoy has zero wins. So I, I just, I just don't understand it, to be honest. But anyways, let's move on to a team that's actually making some noise right now: the Washington Nationals. I will gladly admit this. When we were doing this podcast in the month of May, we already were talking about next year, 2020, because we thought that the Nationals had no hope to actually make the postseason. Uh, They are now in the wild card and they are wild card team number one. So I got to give them credit. I also have to say, hey, I was wrong in my prediction with the Nationals. So they are in the one-game playoff against the Milwaukee Brewers. Let's just make this simple and quick. Darren, are the Nationals going to win, lose, or lose, and why do you think so? The Nationals are going to win. I think the Nationals are the better, have the better lineup. Um, of, they're going to have the better lineup available. You know, we've been talking about how how Washington's bullpen has not been that great, but honestly, Milwaukee probably won't even really really see the bullpen uh, in this wild card game. You know, they'll 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 have Scherzer available. Um, you know, you know, Stra- you know, Strasburg could be available. Probably even Patrick Corbin. You know, they've been playing well enough for the Nationals. And, you know, I, I, I know the Brewers have, you know, they've had some injury concerns, some injury issues, so they're not necessarily going to the game fully healthy. And I just, I like the matchup with Washington against Milwaukee. So, you know, I've, I've, I think they've got this one running away. And then, you know, they'll get to meet the Dodgers right after. Um, I got the Nats winning. I can't say, I can't, you know, in good faith, root against them. I got the winning. I think Mad Max going to get it done on the mound. I like the odds of going against uh, Milwaukee. But, yeah, like, like Jeremy was saying, I didn't have this, I didn't see this happening. I didn't see it happening. Um, yeah, we, we were talking earlier this year about firing Davey Martinez yeah. this this year and just how, how we were going to, how we were just going to, you know, call it a lost season, you know, but hey, we were all wrong. I, we I really were. We really, yeah, we were wrong on all fronts because, you know, they're, they have a game Tuesday, I believe. Is it Tuesday or Wednesday? It's Tuesday. It's the Tuesday. same night as the Mystics game. Same night as the Mystics. I knew the Mystics played on Tuesday, uh-huh. but I wasn't sure about uh, 
the uh, Nats. I did now. But anyway, you know, busy night in DC. It is. It really is exciting night. It's exciting that you know we got successful teams in DC because it will be a long time before the Skins or Wizards win anything. So and they both they both do play less than a mile away from each other. They're both in Southeast DC. You know the the Nationals play over at Navy Yard and the Mystics over at Entertainment and Sports Arena. It's right down the street. It's roughly a mile away. They're about a mile apart. Yep, yep. I do believe the Nationals will win the wild card. And Major League Baseball, how they record this, even if you win the one game wild card, that goes down as a winning a playoff round in Major League Baseball. So I believe the Washington Nationals will get their first playoff round victory in franchise history. And then from that point on, look, I'm not trying to say we go into the World Series. All I'm going to say, yeah. though, is once we're in the mix, anything could happen at this point. So that's what I think is going to happen with the Washington Nationals. Let's move on to another team that's doing well, the Washington Mystics. They are in the WNBA Finals against the Connecticut Sun. They won game one. Darren, you were in the building. Uh, how was the atmosphere first in, in the building? It was electric, and a lot of Connecticut fans were there, too. I actually, so for those, just just to give y'all a, a brief little backstory, I, I go to Mystics Games. A good friend of mine actually has season tickets right behind the visitor's bench. So we're, we're usually always sitting in the, um, we're usually always sitting right behind the visitor's bench. So, you know, I'll in the thick of like a lot of you know opposing fans who get seats there too so so it's pretty it's pretty amazing but the atmosphere is electric you know the entertainment and sports arena if you've never been there it's like i've said before so i won't harp on it but you know it's a very small intimate arena not a bad seat in the house you know players can hear everything you yell at them um on the court you know it's it's fantastic and you know the the mystics love their fans and even you know opposing fans or opposing teams i should say love playing in there just because it's one of the most intimate arenas in the wnba like everybody's it feels like you're right on top of the court so you know i will say that you know whatever stars turn out for the game, you know, Wizards players turn out for the game. You know, I've gotten to see, you know, our Wizards players, you know, got high fives from Jan Mahimi and and Jordan McRae in the last game. And, you know, just, just, it's, yeah, it's, I know but it's, it's, you know, it's a great atmosphere. You know, everybody loves mystics games. It's, it's so much fun. So it's electric. And especially with the game that close, you know, uh, it, the building is loud, like it's legit loud, but it's it's good, and you will you lose your voice just yelling at the teams, yelling at the players. So it, it's great. I almost forgot what we were even that we even what the topic was even going to be. <laughs> <laughs> you you were talking about the atmosphere at the arena, I and I was just like, all right, we can move on. It's uh, so <laughs> exciting. It's lit. I say that, and I'll be the I'll be there Tuesday night. I'll be there. For game two, that's so, what's up. That's what's uh, now, up. I'm going to start with you, Darren. The, the Mystics already won game one uh, of the WNBA Finals. So uh, even though 
we weren't able to talk about it from the beginning. Uh, I, we can uh, still address it. Uh, what do you think that the what do you think are some things that the mystics have to build on um, for the rest of the series, Darren? Uh, I think uh, the biggest thing is just defense. You know, they have a lot of trouble. Uh, you know, the Mystics are a very good defensive team, but they do have a lot of trouble when it comes to scoring inside the paint. So, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of open lanes to the basket that I see. Um, and they're just going to have to really step up their interior defense. You know, uh, the center getting too many easy layups. You know, that was a problem with, with, uh, against Vegas as well. You know, Vegas was just, they can be crafty inside the sun are the same, you know, one other, th another thing is, you know, the mystics are in general, a bigger team than, than the Connecticut sun, which gives them some matchup problems. Uh, you know, the smaller sun players can be very, very crafty against, against the bigger mystics players. Uh, you know, obviously the sun do have, do have some quality bigs, you know, John Quell Jones is one of the best players in the league. Uh, you know, she'll give them, she'll give them the business inside. Um, even though she had kind of a rough night, uh, a rough afternoon on, on Sunday, she'll give them the business. So I think the mystics really just have to step up the defense. Um, they got to get Emma Mieseman going, uh, you know, the Sun were really targeting her. They were they were double teaming her every chance they got, sometimes even triple teaming her because she's honestly been our secret weapon throughout the playoffs and really the back half of the season. Just, you know, when Elena Deladon isn't on fire, you know, which is very rare, but when she's off, you know, Emma Meesman was always there to step up. So the Sun are focusing in on that. So it's really going to come down, honestly, to guard play. Ariel Atkins was just amazing. She dropped, I think it was 21 points, which was solid. She was so amazing right out of the gate. You know, Natasha Cloud, Christy Tolliver, both hitting big shots. Elena Deladon, uh, relatively quiet for her, but hitting hitting big shots when she when she needed to just making those mvp plays so i think if anything it's going to come down to you know keep our guards on fire as it is you know because they're going to have the most matchups uh you just got to get a little bit more from from elena deladon and emma misaman because we know that 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 they can give us that um and then just really keep up the defensive intensity yeah uh I was watching the scans while the um, Mystics were playing. I also uh, was traveling a little bit, so I couldn't really watch the way I wanted to. But uh, I know that the Mystics, like you say, I always had a problem kind of in terror defense. And whether it's the WNBA, the NBA, March Madness, high school basketball, rec league, it all comes down to how you guard, defend, and rebound around the rim. And I think yeah. the Mystics have to do better of just making sure that they use the athleticism and the talent they have around the rim to just – play up to that. Don't get sucked in by whatever's going what other team other team is doing. That happens to professional uh college, amateur, whatever. It happens all the time. Get so caught up watching the action that you lose track of what you gotta do with it back to the basket. I think if they do that, they'll be fine. I I think watching the highlights I did watch, they are completely are completely more talented team than what the Sun are. They've the Sun has given the Mystics a lot of back and forth throughout the entire season, not just in the game on Sunday, but throughout the entire season. And so I think this is a very good matchup for them. But I think that 
the Mystics are the better team. We had the best player, and, and especially like in a sport like basketball, the team with the best player nine times out of ten will win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think you kind of touched on it, but yeah, rebounding has been just this team's Achilles heel in in both the semifinals and game one of the finals. Um, it, that That's definitely been an issue. I mean, the amount of times that I'll say just grab the rebound or just hold on to it is just ridiculous. So um, yeah, they've definitely got to do it. Like they'll, they'll hustle for the ball, you know, out in the open court. But when it comes to just grabbing rebounds, just, you know, it seems like they're they're losing the rebound battle uh, more nights than they're not. So that's just that's something that's definitely going to have to be fixed. But I think I think they'll pull it together. I think they'll be fine. I'm not worried. I got them winning in four. Um, I think the Sun do get a game at home, but then the Mystics take it in game four. I'm calling sweep. sweep. Hey. Okay. All right. <laughs> hey, I have to find the tweet. And it's e- it'll be easy for me to find it because I know how to search for old tweets on Twitter now. Uh, that's just a disclaimer for all you out there. Make sure you <laughs> have reckless tweets because I can I can go back and find them now. But anyways, uh, uh, just about a, what, a month and a half or two months ago, I was like, yo, is DC getting another championship this year? Oh, yeah. This case? And, um, you know. One of my boys was like, oh, no, jinx them. And I'm like, nah, man, I feel like this can be the year that they can win, especially last year with the experience and and the just the heartbreak of it. You know, yeah. usually teams do kind of bounce back from that. You know, I'm, it's a different sport, but the 72 Dolphins, they were embarrassed in the Super Bowl before against my Dallas Cowboys. I wasn't alive, though. Just had to add that in. But anyways, <laughs> they, they, they were embarrassed by the Cowboys in the Super Bowl. And the next year, they go undefeated. as, uh, And they're the only team to go undefeated in the four major professional sports in the United States. And then the very next year, they repeated. And I think the Mystics can be that type of team where they got embarrassed one year. And now they're like, you know, the whole year was trying to get back to this point and try and win this title. So I think the Mystics will win, and I'm actually leaning cl- – well, Darren, you said four games, right? I said four games, yeah. Oh, man, now it's tough. Like, I'm going to have to go with Gerard. I think they're sweeping them. It's I, feel like, I, feel like, I feel like Connecticut is good enough to get one game at home. I don't think they win in D.C. Like, the, I don't think they're going to win on Tuesday. I think the Mystics are going to... I think the Mystics are going to blow them out on Tuesday on Tuesday night. I think it's going to be a... I think it's going to be an early night for our starters. I think they should be fine. Um, and, you know, just to kind of piggyback off your point, yeah, they, they got swept. The Mystics got swept last year, so they're not playing around. Um, but they also didn't have Emma Miesemann. Emma Miesemann was sure. in Belgium playing for playing for the Belgium national team. So, so she, uh, she's back and she's absolutely been our secret weapon. Like I think possibly we don't even make it back to the finals without Emma Miesemann. So, you know, she's, she's been really, really important for this team. Emma Miesemann got a shout out from several NBA players within the last couple of weeks on social media. Let's now move on to the Washington wizards. The general manager, Tommy Shepard, uh, he had some interesting comments uh, during media day or um, leading up to media day for the Washington Wizards. He says that uh, 
this season, he will base the team's success on player development and not on wins. Do you agree with him, uh, Darren, uh, on that assessment of the team? And also, as a follow-up, do you think he should have even admitted that? I think, you know, looking at it, when you when you take into account, you know, first of all, first things first, uh, training camp hasn't even started yet. Training camp starts tomorrow. Training camp opens tomorrow, I should say. And today was media day, Monday. Today, Monday was media day. And we know that we already have several players injured. You know, John Wall most likely out for the season. Okay. Isaiah Thomas lost for six to eight weeks. So, you know, at least another five weeks or so. Troy Brown's probably going to come back. He's, he is injured as well. Um, out for four weeks. So I guess, you know, maybe missing the start of the regular season as well. CJ Miles still out with surgery, still waiting to be reevaluated. You know, when you, when you look at this team, you know, we're already injured. So I think that on some level, Wizards fans kind of know it's going to be one of those down years. You know, I don't, I want to hesitate to say just it's a lost year, but I mean, let, let's be honest. It kind of is basically, you know, I don't think anyone's expecting us to really win more than 30 games. If not, I, I still want to hold on to my, uh, my 32 games, you know, maybe 34. I know I want, but I just, I want to, I want to hold on to it. I know it's hard for me. I struggle. I go back and forth, but I want to hold on to not losing 50 games, but I just, I don't know. It's getting harder and harder by the day, but you know, I, we all know that they're not going to do much, but it's one thing for us to know it, but never just outright saying it. Then for you to, for you to go out in public and, and openly admit it, because I think that I, I think on some level, yeah, we knew it was going to be a player development year. There's probably going to be a lot of G League players getting called up to fill various roles or, or sit on the bench or whatever, get NBA NBA minutes or NBA development, whatever. But, you know, if you say it out loud, especially when you've got a guy like, like Bradley Beal, you know, guys like Isaiah Thomas that actually want to compete, that want to win games, then... Uh, that clashes with what they want. And also, you know, we were talking about this before the show, but Bradley Beal actually said on the same day at media day uh, that, you know, we were talking about the Nats. We're talking about the Mystics, you know, the Capitals have a ring. They, they've, they've won a championship. They just won a championship. Uh, they just won a championship. The Mystics are about to win their next championship, like Bradley Beal said, the Mystics are about to get their hardware. You know, even the Nationals are doing well. So we said, you know, Ted's probably looking at us with, I think the phrase he used was with frowny faces, you know. So Ted's looking at the Wizards side-eyed like, okay, why can't y'all be, you know, good? So it's clear Bradley Beal is a competitor. He's a guy that wants to win. So when you say this is going to be a player development season, you're basically saying it's a lost season. And then your star player comes out and says, Look, we need to win. We need to win basketball games. I want to win games. That's already setting yourself up for a disaster. Like, I think Bradley Beal knows on some level this team isn't going to be that good. He's still going to fight. He's still going to try to win his games. But he's he's got to know that without our star point guard, without a healthy team, you know, 
we're we're going to be at the absolute best and this is being very very generous at the absolute best we're going to be we're going to be a a, a a middling team in the nba and that's the absolute absolute best case scenario like everything absolutely goes well and people surprise us and rui hachimura is just way way better than we're expecting him to be and isaiah thomas comes back better and he's some version of himself in Balt from baltimore or from uh, boston etc that's literally all the stars aligning and you know magic voodoo working on this team getting us to being like a middling team in the nba but i i just i don't see obviously i don't see that happening i know you don't see that happening gerard so even if you know that's what it's going to be you can't say it out right it just it sets the wrong tone for the team it sets the wrong tone for the organization it sets all the wrong tone for our players so they're going to go and they're going to be like well this is a lost season so what am i going to do um, I'm just, I'll play for my stats and try to play for a, a contract on, on the next team, you know, cause that's all I'm good for, you know, it's just player development. And then they're going to just try to develop the rookies. So guys like, like, you know, uh, Bertans, who's still a young player, obviously, but guys like CJ Miles, Isaiah Thomas, Ish Smith, et cetera, the guys who are going to play the key roles on this team. Um, they're just looking at this like, well, Tommy Shepard says it's lost season, so whatever. I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna break my back trying to trying to win games for this team because you know, clearly organization doesn't want us to win games this year. So, yeah, I'm just, you you can't say it out loud, even if that's kind of the understanding. You have to give this team a reason to at least go out there and compete night in night out, as opposed to just destroy defeating them before they're actually beaten on the court. Yeah, I mean, this was his team. Tommy said, you know, he he said something that was true. We all know it to be true. Y'all knew that's we all know that's what's going to happen. It's going to be a player development year. Is a nice way to saying, hey, we're shooting for that lottery this year. We're shooting for the number one pick. I mean, that's what every team can hope for. And we you know we were talking about this off air. You know what Bradley Bill said. You know, right after that, you know, it was a complete contrast to what Tommy said. You know, no veteran, no all-star wants to spend an entire season, especially a season in his prime, on a play development year. And I think that if it goes the way most people are expecting it to go, where we start the season off and it's not going well and we are... 8, 10, 12 games under 500 by the time Christmas and the New Year comes around, then, you know, I don't see – I can see Bradley Bill. I think he has enough pull, enough clout in the organization to say, hey, I want to – I want to win. I, I don't want to be a player coach like John Wall said he was going to be. I'm not here to watch and mentor the younger players get better. You know, we did this last year. I'm not trying to go through it again. And so Tommy, John Thompson, all you guys who are up here calling the shots, either make moves or make trades to fast track this rebuild, get somebody in here who's already a developed player and find a way to make this team a competitive team this year, next year, and the year after that. 
either that or trade me to a team that can because I don't want to be part of a player development year when I'm going into my the prime of well, I'm going to the prime of my NBA career and I can see 30 of arms reach away. Don't waste my time like that. And it's different and it's almost disrespectful to players like that, like Bradley Bill, like Isaiah Thomas, who are veterans who have been in the league, who've had success, who still want to be relevant in the league to Say we're going to take this year to focus on player development. That's not what the NBA season is for. Any NBA right. coach will tell you, any basketball coach will tell you, you don't get better during the season. That is what the off season is for. That's the, that you don't get better while the game, while you're playing when it matters. That's what you're supposed to spend all the time. You're not all, you're not playing on the court for. And so it's disrespectful to get at to be at the highest level and for your boss to say you know what we're going to spend this time this season focused on player development and if wins happen then they happen that's not what you want to hear and Bradley Beal has been loyal to this uh team to the city to his teammates to his franchise but he's still a professional who has no personal family or anything like that ties to to this Wizards team. They just he just doesn't. He doesn't have any ties to this Wizards team other than the fact that this is the team that drafted him. And so I think that if things go the way most people go and he's not seeing any promise, if on the flip side of what you said, uh Darren, if uh the guy we drafted the uh, uh Hachimura, if he is uh n- less than what we expect. If we see him in the NBA and he can't produce or he doesn't look like he's going to be anything more than, you know, a Marquise, Marcus Morris, uh, uh, TJ Warren type of swing forward, then he might say, you know what? This team doesn't have the pieces and I want out. And I can see it happening. I don't want it to happen. I like Bradley Bill. Um, I want him to succeed with this team, but I like Bradley Bill so much that I would hate to see a player of his talent and a player who has who's as likable as he is waste away while we hope that the best player in the 2026 draft is the guy that's going to lead us to a championship. Oh. I also I also I need to throw one thing in um to that. Uh my other issue with this, I could now I could debate the whole Bradley Beal trade thing all day. Um, but we need a lot more time than we have mm-hmm. right now to debate that. Um, one other thing is that we haven't even mentioned. I don't trust Scott Brooks with this player development thing. If we're going to really develop our players, then Scott Brooks needs to go because we've we've seen, I mean, we've basically seen what, what he's done with our players. We know what kind of coach he is. You know, I... I, I think 
I think at some point, you know, they they have to look at Scott Brooks's body of work. They got to be looking at him side eyed, like this is the guy that's supposed to that's supposed to take our players to the next level or make sure that they're growing. I don't think that that happens under Scott Brooks. So so if anything, I think the first thing that's going to need to change, especially if the Wizards are just getting blown out of the water every single night to start the season, which let's be honest, could very well happen, especially looking at their opening schedule, um, then you've got to make a change starting at, at the head coach, you know? So I think that's definitely something that needs to be addressed. If you're serious about, if you are serious about either player development or winning basketball games, I mean, I like Scott Brooks. He's a nice enough guy, but he's, he's not the coach for either of those things for this team. I, uh, I think he's actually the perfect coach for it. You think so? That's player development is the only thing Scott Brooks is good at. He can't coach mid. He can't make adjustments mid game. He's not great at developing a game plan or a playbook. He's not that good when it comes to scouting out the opponent and neutralizing the opponent's pest defender. The one thing he is good at is taking his stars or his best players and getting the most out of them. John Walls had his best season under Scott Brooks. We saw what Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook became in Oklahoma City under West, under Scott Brooks. Bradley Bill has developed into an all-star under Scott Brooks. Scott Brooks is, if nothing else, a the player developmental coach is literally the only thing he does well. Well, but that I'm going to... But I'm gonna, but I'm gonna toss something against you at that point. Look at John Wall's best season. John Wall's best season. He was healthy all season. He was healthy. It was his first time truly being healthy the entire season. So we got to truly see what he could do. Bradley Beal's best season. John Wall was not healthy. John Wall or Bradley Beal really got to flourish, making the team his own. We got to see what he could do without having to share the ball with a fellow All-Star. I think that had John Wall and Bradley Beal both been healthy this year, I still think that that Bradley Beal would have been an All-Star. I think he's too good to have not been an All-Star. But at the same time, when I look at last year, when I look at the guys that we brought in, um, when you have guys like Ron Baker and Sam Decker getting traded here and immediately getting minutes over Troy Brown and, you know, guys like Jordan McRae, et cetera, guys who, who could use the development, who could use the actual NBA experience and whatnot. Um, when I see that happening, then it makes me think Scott Brooks isn't really focused on on developing our younger players or developing the guys that are supposed to play key roles for this team it makes me think that that's kind of an afterthought for him no i like i don't think i don't think those moves and those decisions are him saying he doesn't care about play development i just think it's a testament that he can't he's not good at rotations he's not good at under of balancing locker rooms and stuff and what and you said John Wall's best season it was the first season he was healthy he was drafted in what 2010 2010 he didn't get injured until like his third year in the league he was play, he was healthy his first three well, years okay well as right then, as as a as a as a player who had who had developed 
in in the league. Like obviously, you know, he was healthy earlier on, but he was still very raw. His his game was way too fast. You know, it started to slow down. I think, you know, I I have to think I have to thank Randy Whitman at least. And I know how much we like to harp on on how bad Whitman was, but you know, some days I miss Randy Whitman. Not every day, not most days, but I do miss Randy Whitman. And I think I think John Wall experienced most of his growth under under Randy Whitman's under Randy Whitman's coaching and, and during his tenure in DC. You know, I think I think Scott Brooks, you know, kind of knew how to utilize John Wall in this offense. I think he knew what he wanted from John Wall and Bradley Beal in this offense. But I mean, when I look at the guy that's going to motivate players night in, night out, I don't see Scott Brooks as that guy. You know, every time every time that that, you know, the Wizards would lose, you know, we'd hear the same things, you know, got to play defense, got to this, got to that, and it became a broken record. And if he's saying that to us, you know, I can only imagine it's the same thing in the locker room where, you know, I don't want to say he's quote unquote lost the locker room, which I hate that expression. I know it's a thing, but I, you know, I want to say quote unquote lost the locker room, but, you know, I don't think he's necessarily a super, a super motivating coach and, and the guy that you really want spearheading your player development. I, I everything you're saying, I agree with. But it's but when I think of player development, when it comes, I I think yes, Randy Women played a part in what John Wall was able to do. But I think that Scott Brooks being there helped take it to another level. And with Bradley Bill, I think in the wrong hands, and somebody focused more on a on a systemic or a specific type of offense that they went around like a Phil Jackson, for example, a guy like Bradley Bill would have not developed into the kind of player that we see him now. Like Bradley Bill is an all around scorer an above average defender and a solid leader. There are a lot of coaches and a lot of systems. And some of these coaches that would do it are good coaches or winning coaches, but would have Bradley Bill be a spot up shooter focused on just consistency from the three point line and scoring and being more focused on that than be able to create his own shot off the dribble, be able to be a playmaking guard when need to be like, that is what Scott Brooks does. The, his star players, he does a really good job of bringing those guys out and getting the best version of themselves to be the player that, they, that you want them to be. There was a lot of people saying that uh, Russell Westbrook shouldn't be a point guard. He doesn't have the natural playmaking ability to be a point guard. He can't do it at an NBA level and succeed at it. But it was Scott Brooks who made sure that his that he stayed focused on tr- making sure Westbrook became the type of point guard that fit his game style, that fit his playing style. And he's won an MVP award because of it and has become one of the most dynamic point guards of all time because of it. Scott Brooks can't, let's say there are 20 things a good head coach has to be able to do. Scott Brooks is only good at like one and a half of those things. And that one is player development. Everything else, I don't think he's that great at. I think he'd probably be really. I think Scott Brooks would be an incredible, like, 
Big Ten basketball coach. Not one of those one-and-done schools like Kentucky or Duke who's going to just take the, the ESPN Top 100 and then send them to the NBA draft a year later. But, uh, you know, somewhere like a Purdue and, like, taking, like, the Carson Edwards and all those of the worlds in the of the college basketball arena and just building them up to be the best players they can be by their fourth year. I think he'd be really good in a, situ- in a realm like that. But in the NBA, like you said, you know, he doesn't have the authority to really demand to, like, lead men. He doesn't really have the basketball acumen to do it at the fast-paced level of the NBA that's night to night to night to night, you know, college basketball is a little bit more spaced yeah, players, out. Players, players like him, but that doesn't necessarily relate to yeah. like he's he's, he's definitely a, he's definitely a relatable coach. He's definitely a guy. No one's ever going to come to you and say I don't like Scott Brooks. He's yeah. just he's just a jerk. Like obviously he's not that. Everybody loves Scott Brooks, but I don't know. Just when I look at I don't know when I look at development, you know, I, I just I. I don't see him as, as being the guy that ushers younger players in. You know, I just look at guys like like Sadoransky and and Otto Porter and you know guys who probably should have been better than they were in Washington that that just weren't. And I I have to chalk at least some of that up to Scott Brooks, but that's just me. All right, we do have one more topic, and it surrounds college football. The Maryland Terrapins fell to Penn State fifty nine to zero, so. They now have a two and two record. Uh, I'm gonna just answer this question for all of you all, for for the both of you all. I think we were way too soon to say uh-huh. that this team can compete with Michigan and Ohio State. However, I agree with what you said, Gerard, earlier uh, off air. Uh, you said you still think this team can be a bull team and i do believe this team can be a bowl eligible team uh but to wrap up this episode let's quickly rank the top five dmv uh ncaa football teams uh start with you gerard rank them from five to one quickly five to one i'll say number five I will go with Virginia Tech Hokies. Number four, the the Liberty University Flames. Number three, I will go the Maryland Terrapins. Number two, I will say... I know UVA is number one. I can't remember who I had at number two. It wasn't Maryland. Uh, number two, I want to say in terms of where they stand in their realm of college football, I will say the Bowie State Bulldogs. And oh, my. They're not, right? Hey man, that's your power ranking, man. That's my power ranking. <laughs> okay, I would have never thought we would actually talk about Bowie State Bulldogs in this wow. podcast, but hey, it is a DMV school. It's I'm gonna go more so than UVA, actually, and all those uh, other. That is very true. That is very true. Uh, let's go with you, uh, Darren. What's your top five college football programs right now? Uh, okay. Um, I'm gonna go one to five. Number one, I got UVA. Um, number two, 
Uh, I don't know. Number two. I don't know who I've got number two. Uh, number three, I've got... Number three, I've got Tech. Number four, I've got Maryland. Number five, I've got Liberty. I don't know who I've got number two. That's a tricky one. I'm about to actually change my nut. I'm I'm sorry. I, yeah, I ain't going to change my nut, actually. Okay. Uh, five... I have Bowie State. I'll put Bowie State at five. Four, give me Virginia Tech. Three, give me Old Dominion. I mean, three, no, five is Virginia Tech. Four is Old Dominion. Three, I forgot Old Dominion. Three is uh, Liberty. Two is Maryland. Number one is UVA. Yes. Okay. Yes. ODU. ODU is my five. ODU is my five. So okay. shift, every, shift everybody up. Shift everybody up. Gotcha. Yeah. But yeah. ODU is my five. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, I think ODU for me, I, I'm going to go five to one real quick. I have Virginia Tech at five. ODU four. Uh, I guess you could say, hmm. Actually, no. Pause. Switch that. I'm going number five, Towson. Number four, Virginia Tech. Number three, ODU. Number two, Maryland. Number one, UVA. That's my top five. Towson's in your top five? In your top five? I can't put Towson up there. Look, I ain't going top five. I ain't going to lie. I don't even know what their record is right now, but I couldn't think it's of five not, yeah, it's not. It's not good. I don't think good. <laughs> they just. I think they just got shut out. They just. Hey. They just got shut out by Florida. Hey man, it is what it is. I, I couldn't come up with five schools. <laughs> Honorable mention, I guess. Yes, Bowie State Bulldogs. Bowie State. Yes, Honorable mention. All right. Um. We're going to have to table it. Look, this is what we're going to have to do. <laughs> Next week, we're going to have to start off with this topic, no matter yes. what is going on in sports. Next week, we're going to have to start off this with this topic. But just today, the uh, state governor uh, or the governor of California uh, signed the bill in law that will allow college athletes to make money off of their name, likenesses, and other uh, things about them. Uh, so, yes, we brought up. Uh, we, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago when the bill was signed or when the bill was at least passed in the, in the state uh, um, state house. Now the governor signed the bill, but uh, starting next week, we will actually come up with our proposal of what, of the way we think college athletes should be paid. Uh, so yeah, we'll get into that next week. So make sure you stay tuned to that. And that will do it for us here at DMV Dispute. Hopefully you all enjoyed the show. And if you did, subscribe to it 
wherever podcasts are available. Leave us a review so we can grow in the charts on the podcast platform of your choice. You can find us on Twitter at DMV Dispute. You can find me on Twitter at JSquared021. Darren, where can they find you on Twitter once again? You can find me at D-Bird Hoops. That's D-B-I-R-D Hoops. I will see you at Game 2 of the WNBA Playoffs Tuesday night in D.C. All right. What about you, Jerron? You can find me on Twitter at RoddyKG. That's at R-O-D-D-Y-K-G. Thanks for listening, guys. If you want to follow me on Twitter, please keep in mind that everything up there is just for jokes, um, except for the Redskins. Everything I see for the Redskins. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't forget to check out DMVSportsNetwork.com. Follow them on Instagram and Twitter at DMV underscore SN. And if you want to join the team, contact them via Twitter, the website, or shoot them an email at DMVSportsNetwork at Outlook.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Peace out. Peace.